On a beautiful run through the park on a pleasant day, you can easily get lost. No, no, no! She didn't kill him. Huh? In your true crime podcast. It was the pool guy. So obvious. Whatever motivates you works for us. It's all about letting your run be your run. And Brooks is here for every runner, doing the research and sweating the details to create gear that works for you. It's your run. Brooks, run happy. Uh, you know, just living the dream, actually getting to uh, watch a team realize its potential. There we go. Finally. Um, yeah. What a, what a, what a team it is. We're gonna, we're gonna get into, but here's the plan for today. Uh, we're hopefully we're recording this on a Monday, late afternoon, early evening. Hopefully people will have a chance to listen to it. Um, before the series gets going on Wednesday, there's, you're going to be inundated with uh, Stanley cup final previews from all sorts of different outlets. So hopefully we'll be able to provide a bit of a, a unique wrinkle to it. Um, I'd like to think it'll be the most detailed preview you're going to get ahead of the Stanley cup final, but uh, we'll see how it goes. I mean, listen, this, this particular matchup for me, like obviously it's deserving of all the attention and love it's going to get. It's as good as it gets. It's the two best teams, but beyond just the the obvious storylines of the lightning trying to three peat the avalanche trying to dethrone them and kind of finally assume that mantle at the top of the league and all the star power on both sides i think for me like from an x's and o's perspective when i finally started digging into thinking about how these two teams match up against each other what type of matchups we're going to see how the games are going to be played out it's it's a nerd's dream in that regard as well. So it just checks all the boxes of whatever your potential interests are. And so I think that's what makes this series such a fun one for me. Yeah. I think uh, it's, it's really fascinating because Tampa Bay just has this reputation. Uh, obviously it's, it's well-earned just their, their championship reputation, but also the, the reputation is like this like high octane offensive juggernaut. Mm-hmm. And in, in the past, I think it's more true than it is of this current iteration. And you see they get by winning a lot more games, 2-1, 3-2, leaning on Vasilevsky a lot more. You know, I think it's it's interesting. The, uh, and then you think about, like, their sweep against the Panthers, and they get outshot in three of those four games. You know, by, like, some of those games, it's, like, by, like, one or two. It's not that big of a deal. But you're talking about, like, even games in terms of process. And their results, they just they just get to the finish line consistently. But the on the other side, you have Colorado that just, they just score and they score and they score. But they, they also defend at such a, at such a high level because they, they went through two teams that also just want to score and score and score. And it's, I just think that the, the combination of how they got there really shows the differences in, in who they are. Oh. As, like, like just their DNA. 
Well, both these teams can like any great team can certainly beat you in any number of ways, right? Like they don't, they don't necessarily need a game to be played out in one specific fashion to get by. And all of a sudden, if the game script goes differently, they're just out of luck for that night. Like they can certainly find a way to beat you in any number of ways, but I think that's a really great point you made there about the lightning, because for all we can talk about Kucherov's playmaking, Stamkos' goal scoring, like the power play, Vasilevsky's acrobatic saves, if you look at a lot of these games, when it matters most, their calling card throughout this entire run over the past three years has been an ability to just completely put the clamps on teams defensively and hold them to these games where like in game six in the clincher against the Rangers, they didn't even get to one expected goal at five on five for the entirety of the game. Uh, they were struggling to get to 20 shots on net for the entire night. I don't know if they even got there by the end of it. Uh, it's just the recurring theme where when it matters most, they found a way to basically just lock the game down and almost turn it into like a helpless feeling when you're, where you're watching and you're just like, all right, this opposition, whoever it may be, it's just, they're not going to be able to get through them tonight. And obviously, um, as we get into this preview, the light, the avalanche are going to provide them with an entirely different test because they create offense in such a unique high octane way where they just kind of come at you in waves, especially off of the rush. And they have so many different weapons that they can beat you with. So it's going to provide a, a whole new test for them to try and uh, reach that gear defensively. But that's, what's going to make this such a fascinating matchup for me, where, um, as we go piece by piece here, uh, it, there's going to be just so much to unpack. So I don't know. Do you want to just do you want to finally kind of stop with the, with the foreplay and really just get into the, get into the matchup here. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Let's do it. So here's, here's what I thought would be an interesting way for us to start. Um, you know, it's, there's so much to tackle here. I, I thought watching all of these games over the past couple of weeks, there's kind of a few key themes that I've noticed uh, they unite these two teams in terms of what they do, particularly in in zone settings, whether it's the defensive or offensive zone, that allows them to be as effective as they are as a team. And, you know, you see the success they've had over this postseason and over the regular season and in the past and kind of how, how they respectively generate those results. And so I wanted to break those three, I have the three key elements here and I kind of wanted to break them one by one. And I feel like it'll serve as a good uh, introductory template into a bunch of different topics, kind of pivot off of that. So we're just going to go step-by-step here. So the first one I have is, it starts on the defensive end, breaking the puck out of your own zone efficiently and having sustainable paths to do so. And I think a key storyline for this series is going to be the Avalanche D versus the Tampa Bay Lightning forecheck and whether the Lightning can do something that the three teams that have played Colorado so far have, I'm sure, went into the series knowing they needed to do and had absolutely zero success actually accomplishing it, which is stream together any kind of real forecheck to at least make them stop and start on occasion and rethink their, their plan and their approach because both the predators, the blues and the Oilers in all of those matchups, it ultimately wound up just turn the abs managed to turn the middle of the ice into a runaway that was just completely unrestricted. And they used it as a source to build up speed and it fueled so much of their rush offense. And so if you allow them to go unopposed from zone to zone to zone like that, uh, good luck trying to stop them once they're playing downhill in that regard. So I'm sure the lightning know all of this and accomplishing something and doing something about it is an entirely different, uh, thing to try to do. But I think this is a, a very key sort of part of how this matchup is going to go in when you're trying to determine whether the lightning are not going to have any success actually slowing the avalanche down. 
Yeah, I think uh, it was interesting to watch. Uh, Nashville didn't stand a chance and never provided any kind of meaningful resistance whatsoever. Nope. Um, so I'm I'm kind of just throwing that series out the window. I'm not worried about it at all. They were uh, they were unprepared from the start and they never adjusted. They never got close. Uh, we saw St. Louis in game two of that series. That was the only time that they had sustained success. Yeah. Uh, and then after that, never again. Uh, their best success was Colorado beating themselves and a bunch of goals just taking goofy bounces and going in. But uh, in terms of in terms of limiting Colorado's breakout, St. Louis did it one game. They managed to do it once. And even then, uh, that was a I mean, that's a one goal game you know, late in that game and you're, you're, you know, Colorado's pressing and they're, they're in comeback mode and the, uh, a bad decision at the blue line gives the, the blues a two and one going the other way. So you're talking the best success that any of those three teams had lasted one game and it still almost wasn't enough. And uh, that's, I think that that presents, uh, it really drives home that, that this avalanche team is, comfortable and versatile ways, but they are, when it comes to their breakout, man, they, we, we saw, uh, Jay Woodcroft and Edmonton was the team that tried the most, uh, variety of waves to, to try and close things off because as I think it was, a gave a perfect description, the middle of the ice was the runway in games one and two Colorado had no problems, um, moving pucks around and up the middle of the ice and out of the zone. And when Edmonton tried, Edmonton tried to take that away, Colorado just said, okay, we'll chip it out and we'll chase and we'll create from the neutral zone using our defensemen. Cause they're Colorado's defensemen are unique in the way that they relentlessly attack every pairing attacks. Josh Manson got to Colorado and it was like the man's a maniac. You know, he's he's never been an offensive guy. And all of a sudden he's flying through the neutral zone with pucks and he's deking guys. He's going into the he's going into the the, the offensive zone with possession and making plays. I mean, I've, I've never seen watching Josh Manson in whatever five, five plus years in Anaheim. I've never seen him pinch this much to try to keep the keep keep the puck in the zone in the offensive zone like. What did he have that one game? It was in either game three or four at Edmonton where he like kind of jumped on a loose puck and then rang it off the iron. Um, yeah. And it was like, game four. Yeah, like basically just a green light to just go for it. As soon as you see an opportunity to jump in and, and that's a remarkable, like it must be such a fun environment for them to play. It's, it looks like he's having the most fun that he's ever had. And no offense to like the Anaheim tenure, of course, but it just, just anecdotally watching him play. He just looks like, Oh, I'm allowed to do this. I'm allowed to engage in this part of the game. And there's been ups and downs to it. Like there have been some questionable decisions and he's, there have been some execution issues, but the offense that he's provided, the he's got what, six points, I think in the postseason. this is a guy that scores 15 points a year. And since getting to Colorado, that side of the game has opened up for him. And part of that is because they ask their defensemen, Hey, we want you guys to attack. We want you to attack through the neutral zone. Colorado is fine. Chipping pucks out of its zone and going and getting them along the boards you have guys like Nachushkin and Lekin and Landeskog. That's what they do. They go in, they win battles along the boards, and then they can move the puck either to one of the centermen or to whichever defenseman has decided to jump up first into the neutral zone. And they attack with speed. It's how they attack with speed. They use that back end. 
to generate that speed through the neutral zone and and put that kind of pressure on opposing defenses. And I think that's the biggest thing is that Edmonton tried to adjust. And then when Edmonton said, okay, this isn't working, we're going to go back to trying to ceiling off the wall and forcing pucks up the middle. It turned into a runway again. You end up, you end up with the third period of game four where it was just a shootout. And Colorado's very comfortable with that. You know, you look at a couple of the goals that Colorado scores. The key is they they get through the neutral zone. It's off the rush. It's in transition. They generate, they pull up, they find the trailer, they find the guy. They're able to pick through the trash at a really, really high level. And, you know, because transition defense is just controlled chaos. And attacking it is something that Colorado does at a really high level. And it all starts with how they move the puck out of the back end and through the neutral zone. And the way that they do it, it's really, they, they do it through their defense is the thing that makes them more dangerous than other teams because they give them the green light. Outside of Jack Johnson, everybody's got a green light. I think Jack Johnson has a green light. I just, just don't know that he not wants to, to use yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and to be honest, a couple of times we've seen the green light outside of him opening the season uh, with that sick, uh, sick, sick pull to the backhand in, in three minutes into the season against Chicago. It has not gone well when he's used the green light. So it's probably best that he knows his limitations there. Yeah, it's hilarious. I've got the uh, the zone exit numbers at 515 for all the abs defensemen so far this postseason. And, and Makar is just uh, at, a, at a non-human level right now. 74% of his exits are with possession, which is just preposterous. Like I, I haven't put together the numbers for the rest of the players so far in these playoffs, but I'd imagine no one else is even like touching 65%. So he has just been... Freakish, Devontae is at 61. Bowen Byram at 55, really good. Then you've got Manson and Eric Johnson in the in the mid-40s, which is what you'd expect. Jack Johnson, five successful exits on 24 tries. Um, but yeah, you're right. Like, like his his objective is much more, all right, just get the puck into the neutral zone, get it out of the zone, get out of trouble and allow our wingers to skate into it and try to win a battle. And and that's been working for them. But the reason why I brought this up first is kind of the matchup that I'll be watching for is because on the one hand, of course, um, you know, none of those three teams really had sustained success doing it. And I think the lightning are going to identify that as something that they need to really prioritize, but also for them and the way they want to play, you know, we talk about how they're not necessarily this high octane offensive team. They actually would prefer more of a defensive kind of slower pace environment. Like their ideal setting in this series is grinding out possessions where they can keep the puck deep in the zone, where they can use their size and their physicality to, lean on the avalanche, kind of ground and pound them into submission by, by taking their legs away. So that by the time the shift is done, all they really want to do is get the puck out of the zone and change and not actually pursue that rush. And that obviously starts for them by establishing some kind of a forecheck where they're actually keeping the avalanche in their own zone and not allowing them just to skate it out. And no one's had success doing that so far. I'm very curious to see how the lightning approach it because, you know, they played a very, um, a very high scoring team in the Panthers earlier this postseason, and they had great success sweeping them in that series though, they were much more passive in their approach where they kind of lured them into a trap where they let them carry the puck through the zone and they actually let them exit. But as soon as they started approaching Tampa Bay's defensive zone, they basically like lured them into a trap and then shut it all down and had this really strong defensive structure in place. And that worked against the Panthers because for as fast of a team as they are, they were trying to kind of pass the puck through there and the lightning were sitting all over that. I'm not sure that strategy is going to work against a team like the avalanche because they have such 
powerful individual skaters that if you allow Nathan McKinnon or Kale McCarr or even Valerie Nachushkin or any number of players on their team to just gain speed throughout the zones and attack downhill in that regard, it might kind of be too late if you're just sitting back and hoping that you can provide some sort of cushion because they can just burst through it with their powerful skating. And so I'm not sure if that similar approach to what they did against the Panthers is going to be replicable in this type of a setting because the Avalanche and Panthers are both high scoring teams, but they kind of approach it in different ways. Do you think that it is a it's a it's a great point to bring up that they kind of sat back against Florida and said, okay, hey, we'll give you this, but we won't give you this. Absolutely. They, kinda, they drew their line in the sand and said, okay, here's what we're really concerned with. Because if there's any team that's been comfortable with, hey, we just won't make mistakes. You know, we we won't get in transition, we won't create a volume of chances. Cause if you go through Tampa, you go and look and like the Rangers series is tilted because Tampa or the Rangers are a little overmatched five V five. So this, it skews the numbers a little bit, but when you look at both Toronto and Florida series, you see that both of those teams were able to, they were able to create and, and it wasn't like this, a volume of domination by Tampa Bay. It's that they do it in, they do it in, it's all about the highest danger for them. They're not so worried about creating, hey, we want 50 chances. We want 10 great ones. And I think with them drawing that line in the sand against Florida, it might be where they start against Colorado. Because if there's a tendency that we've seen from the Avalanche, even in this postseason, it's sometimes they just beat themselves. I mean, you look at game four against Edmonton. How did how did the Oilers get that three to one lead to begin with? You know, there's a Logan O'Connor and Devon Taves have the weirdest miscommunication on a nothing play that leads to a Ryan Nugent Hopkins breakaway. The first goal of the series, Evander Kane, it's the same kind of miscommunication that leads to a breakaway. You're talking, you're talking about a, a team that with the Avalanche are dangerous, but they're a bit of a high wire act at times because their defense is as aggressive as it is. It has a tendency to beat itself to open up the door for the highest, you know, the highest danger of chances against clean breakaways, clean two on ones where there's nothing for them to get in the way. And Tampa Bay is the kind of team that says, thank you. We'll go ahead and take that. We'll put that in the back of the net and then we'll lock it down defensively. We make no mistakes in our own zone. And if you beat yourself, then we'll score again and we'll love that. But otherwise they're comfortable. Oh, we got one goal. That guy back there will shut it down. Yeah, I, well, I think hearing you say that, that's that would exactly be my my fear if I was kind of putting together a blueprint of where things could go wrong for Colorado in this series because the Lightning aren't a rush team. They're not going to want to engage in a back-and-forth track meet against the Avalanche here, but no team is more opportunistic than they are in terms of if they see an opening, if you mess up, they will jump on that two-on-one as quickly as anyone in the league and more often than not make you pay because they have the players to be able to do so. And so the volume of their rush opportunities is going to be nowhere near Colorado's, but the efficiency might be higher. And that would be, that would concern me at the same time though, if you're the avalanche, you've had so much success playing a certain way, acknowledging that fear, you can't allow that to seep into the way you play because last year, I thought that's what happened to the Panthers where the Panthers in round one really had the lightning on the ropes a little bit. And it didn't go well for them in the first couple of games. They've made a few mistakes like that and the, and the, and the lightning burned them off the rush. And then all of a sudden they started kind of playing more tense and more hesitant. 
And that was never going to be able to be enough to beat Tampa Bay the way they're constructed. So if you're the avalanche acknowledging that it could lead to some, some risky situations and potentially a few backbreaking goals, I think you got to approach this series playing the exact way you've played the entire time, because that's what makes you special. Yeah. I think uh, it's, it's, it's a great point that look, they got tight. And if there's one thing that we've seen this avalanche team, the Panthers, I mean, last year, they got tight and, uh, the Avalanche this year, specifically what's made them different about what's been different about their DNA, their identity, uh, is that when they don't play, when they're not in the game that they wanted to be in, they're not in the track meet, they're not in the back and forth, they're not dominating the puck, they're more comfortable than they've ever been uh, just living in the world that they're in. You know, you always want to live in the world that you want to be in, right? But we all unfortunately have to live in different worlds. Sometimes you got to be in the moment that you're in and make the, make, make the absolute most of that. And I think that's something that this avalanche team has gotten more comfortable with this year than in, in past years where they were comfortable when they scored first, they had momentum, they built momentum, they scored second, they scored third, and they put it in cruise control and won the game. This year, we've seen that. I mean, they've given up the first goal in like eight of the last 10 games or something in the postseason. Like the entire the entire St. Louis series was the Blues scoring first. And the one game that Colorado did it was game five that they blew the three nothing lead in. And you see, you know, Colorado more comfortable than ever uh, playing playing from behind, playing with a deficit has always been something that that team has has struggled with under Jared Bednar until this season. And they just, I think that it speaks to the emotional maturity there, that they they have taken a step forward and understood that, hey, if we get down one, we're pretty good. One goal is nothing. We can get this back. We can get this thing tied. Even down two. Now, I know it was the Oilers, and that's not what they do. They're not exactly known for being able to gear it down and, and seal it off defensively. But even down two, down 3-1, they score immediately in the third period of game four. It's 3-2. They give up the goal just a few minutes later. It's 4-2. A lot of teams would have just been like, look, this just isn't our night. But they kept at it. And by the 10-minute mark, you, you know, the thing is tied up. Like you're, It's just a different world for them where – even when having to to climb from a deficit, even when having to muck and grind a little bit uh, and deal with a little more physical of a team, they've been more comfortable than ever. And it's, it's an interesting, and it's an, it's a really important evolution for them because last year when they got punched in the mouth by Vegas, they had a good response in game five on home ice. It was two, two, they were up by two in that game. They blow the lead. And then, the Ryan Graves block shot turns into Mark Stone's breakaway game-winning goal, and the Avs were emotionally done. They never recovered. They, it was just done from that point on. But they responded to that, and it wasn't enough. This year, they blow that game five against St. Louis, and everybody's on edge in Denver, right? We're all looking around like, well, what's about to happen here? How are they going to come back from this? And they play a very good game six. You know, they they chase the game. They're They're trailing for most of it. But they're outplaying the Blues. They're, they're the better team. Billy Huso's having a great game. It's fine. But they get across the finish line. They get there. They just keep working and they just keep working and they get there. And so I think 
when you see what when Tampa Bay has been on the ropes, you know, Toronto this year, uh, Florida last year, those teams get a little bit tight. Tampa Bay puts the locks on them and, and says, all right, we're going to do this. I think I, I think the Avalanche would be comfortable in that kind of game. Yeah. Well, that'll be a big test because, yeah, you're right. No team executes better in high leverage moments than the Lightning do over the past three years, really. And, uh, and we've seen it time and time again, even this postseason. Um, all right. That, I think that's all I had for for uh, part A there in terms of the, the the four check. I think it really is key for for a variety of reasons, which we've already highlighted. But even you're talking about, you know, last postseason and kind of where things went wrong for them versus Vegas. It was really kind of the first time they, they also felt adversity in terms of, oh, it's not just going to be an easy ride through the neutral zone here. And then all of a sudden they started making mistakes. Now the blue line is, is significantly different in terms of the way it's constructed. And I think if anything, um, you know, how good Bowen Byram's looked in his elevated role here since Sam Gerard went out is, is a game changer. It's silly to kind of say like, it's a game changer because they have Kale McCarr and Devon Taves in the back end already. And they're the one and two, and they're going to play a significant amount of minutes, but having a guy who can, you feel comfortable with breaking out on another pair makes such a big difference for this team. And that's kind of exactly what Byron has been so far. Yeah. Byram, Byram has really been their X factor. Uh, when you talk about stepping up in Sam Gerard's absence, uh, because I mean, Byron was playing great when Gerard was still in the lineup. Yep. Gerard and, and Manson had been an awesome second pairing for Colorado outside of one or two like high profile mistakes from each guy. You were talking about a you're talking about a second pairing that really it was such a big step up from last year's group. Uh, you know, no offense to Ryan Graves, Patrick Nemeth, and Connor Timmons. It's just a different dynamic there. I think you mean at least some offense to that. I <laughs> I just mean this year's group is just better. Yes, like, yeah, you it know, is. it's it is. Yeah. No, no offense there. No, I mean, they, like, they made a lot of they made a lot of very inopportune mistakes in that series. Like, there's no no way around it. Yeah, I and and like Nemeth in particular just looked completely overwhelmed by the moment. You know, Connor Timmons was that was actually he was actually treading water uh, while while Graves and Nemeth were drowning. And I think that's the difference between Byram, especially Bowen Byram and Eric Johnson. Eric Johnson has found the fountain of youth here in this postseason, and it's been awesome. He's been huge for them just from a stability standpoint. Uh, he has that natural chemistry with Byram. Byram elsewhere has been good, especially next to McCarr. How much of that is McCarr? How much of that is Byram? It's tough to tell. But Byram, every every role that he's been asked to play, he has stepped into comfortably. And what has consistently surprised me anyway, just following him from his draft year, uh, you know, getting to know him a little bit and, and the profile and everything, uh, how defensively polished he has, he has been in the NHL. Yep. Uh, it's really what separated him. And you, you look at, there are some really good young defenders around his age. You know, we just saw Braden Schneider and Keandre Miller in that Rangers series. Those are going to be some really good NHL players, but there's a lot of work there and you look at Byram and you look at how polished he is uh, defensively. He doesn't make too many mistakes. He's great at denying zone entries. Uh, his ability to just dead stop the puck and move it the other way at his own blue line is uh, formidable. And I think it's going to be an interesting, it's going to be an interesting challenge for the lightning to make him turn and skate 
and then uh, go chip and chase against him because carrying it against Bowen Byram has not worked for three teams so far. Even yeah. even with some some great zone entry monsters on those teams, uh, you're talking it just hasn't worked going on on his side and getting him to turn his back uh, to the play and go and, and retrieve the puck and try and break it out from from the end line versus the blue line is going to be huge for the Lightning. But his ability to, to get it, make good decisions, carry it out, his confidence is off the charts. He has yeah. no no bones about making any play. If he thinks he can make a play, he's going to try to make a play. This is not a rookie who is uh, shied away from the moment. He has not uh, he has not gotten eaten up by any of that. The spotlight hasn't bothered him. The increased minutes haven't bothered him. He just he's so polished for a guy his age. It's it's honestly it's it's funny to say this because we just watched this happen with Kale McCarr, but it's rare to see a guy with such an advanced game at his age. Yeah, there was that one. I mean, he's done this a couple times so far this postseason already, but the like the one that really sticks in my mind just because it, it led to a, a key goal by Nazim Kadri against the Blues was that game on the road during Kadri's hat trick where uh, I believe it was like kind of at the end of a power play. It might've already been five on five at that point. And, and he had a good look at, at net himself and he was kind of in tight. And I think most young defenders probably would have just either put that puck on net or tried to force something because that's kind of what they're trained to do. And they don't want to make a mistake there. And instead he was just so comfortable kind of holding onto it for an extra second, waited for the passing lane to open and then threaded it across the Kadri for an easy one timer for him. And, and kind of just that poise with the puck and, and the ability to, to play a more patient kind of refined game like that is so impressive. And it's a big reason why to go along with all the defensive stuff, the abs are up 19 to seven with him on the ice at five on five so far this postseason. Um, and it's happening in, you know, we mentioned the elevated responsibility. I think that's a key thing to point out here where he's gone from playing about 15 and a half minutes to 19 and a half. I believe he was actually like first or second on the team in five on five ice time and the clincher against Edmonton. Uh, most recently, like they're, they're leaning on him and he's rewarding them for it. And it really giving them that extra, um, extra defenseman there beyond the top pair is such a game changer and makes things uh, so much easier for them moving forward. So I did want to highlight that here quickly. Um, every deep playoff run starts with building an amazing team doing the same for your business. Doesn't take a room full of scouts. You just need Indeed. Don't spend hours on multiple job sites looking for candidates with the right skills when you can do it all with Indeed. Hate waiting? Indeed's US data shows over 80% of Indeed employers find quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed matches their job description the moment they sponsor a job. Something I love about Indeed is that it makes hiring all in one place so easy because with virtual interviews, Indeed saves you time. You can message, schedule, and interview top talent all in one place. Indeed knows that when you're growing your business, you have to make every dollar count. That's why when you sponsor a job, you only pay for quality applications from resumes in our database matching your job description. Visit Indeed.com slash BlueWire to start hiring today. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Cost per application pricing not available for everyone. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Recognize employees with Custom Inc. Show customer appreciation with Custom Inc. Outfit your teams with Custom Inc. Easily add your logo to your favorite products and brands at custominc.com. Make Custom Inc. your custom gear partner with great customer service, quality products, and all-in pricing, along with personalized help when you need it, 
and an easy-to-use website when you don't. All backed by a 100% satisfaction guarantee. Do it all today at custominc.com. Okay, let's move on to uh, the second key for me here, which is uh, not a very glamorous one. It's like a very nerdy element of hockey, but it's something that as you watch more and more, you really uh, hone in on. It's being able to pick the puck up off the half wall in the offensive zone, whether it is, you know, someone does a hard rim around the boards or whether the defenseman is trying to kind of clear it off the glass and out and knocking it down. And then immediately before the team, but before the defensive team can get back into their structure and kind of get set again, firing it into the slot for a quick shot that comes across as one of the most high dangerous score chances you can get in today's game. And both the avalanche and the lightning are so good at that. Um, and it's going to be a key in this series because they're also also both really good at defending when they're set in their defensive zone structure. And so finding ways to um, kind of create chances in scramble situations, whether there's breakdowns or turnovers or kind of sudden small openings, just because someone's out of position, that's going to be such a key for creating offense in, in five on five in zone settings for both of these, both of these teams in this series. Cause you're not, you know, if you're the avalanche as good as you are at creating off the rush, there's going to be moments where the game slows down and you need to all of a sudden find a way to kind of eke out offense through those in zone settings and being able to do so. I thought the second line, actually, we could talk here about Kadri's health and what our expectations are for him in this series. That second line was humming so well in this regard with him and with Ranton and with Lekkonen in terms of how many chances they were creating like that against the Oilers in the first two games. And I think that's going to be something to really watch for in this series in terms of which team can execute better in that regard. Yeah, I think uh, I, I've always, for some reason, I make parallels to basketball all the time. I always compare Kale McCarr to Allen Iverson with the the, the crossovers, the, the little sh- that that shimmy that he does at the at the blue line to to dust people reminds me of the AI crossover. And uh, I think I think to 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 stay in that that realm, you're talking about guys like you're trying to find space in a structured defense and. Like in basketball, you're looking for guys who are smart cutters that can uh, that understand exploitable space. When when you have guys like Lekkonen and Nichushkin, especially, those are two really smart hockey players that understand how to put themselves in dangerous situations. They're like high quality cutters in basketball that they can they can create problems for the defense within a structure because they understand how. Okay, here's an, here's an open space. I'll drift into this. And if I get the puck here, then I'm dangerous. If I don't get the puck here, but I pull a defender away from this, I've opened something up for one of my guys to make a play there. And so they, those two guys in particular, Landis Scott also does this to a lesser extent. He's more of i uh, I'm just going to go put my butt in the goalie's face and stand there, but he'll, he'll do it occasionally. Uh, You'll see Nachushkin and Lekkonen are great at being sort of like basketball style cutters in in that sort of organized chaos of of the defense, uh, where where they just create problems by slicing into open space where the defense is like, okay, like we'll give that to you, and then the puck lands on their stick, and they're like, we don't want to give that to you anymore. We really don't want to do that. And you see a lot of their offense, uh, you know the. Nachushkin, I think, gets the game-winning goal uh, in in Game Four to put Nashville away, precisely because he does that. Where McCarr dumps, you know, he he dips down 
from that blue line with the puck and he goes across the ice. Well, the starts that play in the center of the ice and he sees what's going on. He sees how the defense is reacting and he just finds the open space on that back door. He drifts into that space. And when he does, you know, McCarr makes a great pass, but there's, there's nobody to, to pass that too. If the doesn't put himself there. And I think offensively, that's where those guys specifically are really dangerous and are creating a different element for the avalanche uh, because the, they, in the past, they've been so reliant on rush, uh, on rush offense and transition offense that being able to create off the cycle, being able to create off the second opportunities like you're talking about, those are the two key guys. You know, you've got great puck skill, great playmakers, Ranton and McKinnon, all these guys can can do special things with the puck. And uh, Colorado's defense also really helps here in that they're all there. There's enough puck skill back there that they create a lot of problems. You also see they jump into the play. Speaking of cutting into space yep. on the back door, you see these guys jump into the backside of defenses all the time. Bowen Byram loves this. This is like his favorite thing to do. You'll watch him. He creeps back. He doesn't, it, it hasn't really turned into anything yet, but he creeps into that back door all the time. It reminds me of what Nick Holden used to do in Colorado, where he would just he would just see that opportunity and then he would skate straight to the back post, hope that something good happens. And if it didn't, then he was in trouble. Yeah, that constant so, that constant movement. I, I actually think the, you know, you, you talk about the kind of cutters if you're sticking with that basketball parallel, it's almost equivalent to like how off of offensive rebounds you create such dangerous, especially three-pointers, because mm-hmm. all of a sudden the defense isn't set anymore. They're not on their man. And it's all of a sudden everyone's kind of thinks they're going to get the puck. And then when they don't, you're, you're like, Oh shit, I got to get back here. And then all of a sudden, if the other team is quick enough to make that play into the slot, you're kind of out of luck in that regard. Right. So, uh, yeah. and, and you know what, on the other side, I, I would say, you know, Kucherov is arguably the best player in the world right now at this, like his ability to not be looking at the play, like he can have his back turned. So he's facing the boards and the puck comes to him and he knows where everyone is already. Like he does a quick shoulder check and he can just turn around and quickly whip it. Like before it's like a one-time pass that's spinning mm-hmm. off of the wall and it generally goes to where he wants it to go. And sometimes it leads to bad turnovers. And I'm sure people get very frustrated and call him lazy and all that, but the, like when it works out, it is so beautiful to watch. And that's such a key source of their offense. And I think you're going to see a lot of that in the series as well. Kucherov and what what consistently amazes me about Kucherov is the way that he dictates the pace when he's on the ice, that the game is going at one pace and then Kucherov gets on the ice and the game is going at Kucherov's pace. If he wants to go fast, it's fast. If he wants to slow it down, it's slow. If he wants to, and and he could shift those gears into whatever he wants. And he, he's just a magician with the puck where he decides, okay, Hey, this is what we want to do. Then this is what we want to do. This is what's open. This is, this is where my opportunities are. And he's just great at that. All right, Leigh let's, uh, let's take a quick break here. And then we're going to pick the conversation back up on the, uh, on the other end. All right. So here's the plan. Uh, if you're wondering why the show stopped at the 40 minute mark, when we had so much other stuff to discuss, it's because, AJ and I ran long. We had a lot to talk about in previewing the series and so decided uh, to split the show up into two parts. So you'll, I hope, see on your feed that there is a, a part two of this episode 442 as well. Uh, so you can definitely just check that out now after you're done listening to this one and uh, and finish off our, our preview of the Stanley Cup final. We 
bounce around and talk about a, a bunch of different other topics to to help prepare you for this series. So hopefully you're enjoying the show so far. Uh, I think we uh, we even it gets even better in part two. We we really hit our stride there and touch on some good stuff. So um, I know it's a bit unusual. We usually don't do this, but decided it just made sense just because this episode ran particularly long compared to some of the ones we've been putting out in the past. So wanted to split it up, make it easier for you to uh, to listen to and digest and, and download for those of you to do so. And so thank you for listening. Uh, hopefully you enjoy both parts. Hopefully you're feeling excited about the Stanley Cup final and, uh, and you're more ready after listening to the show. And uh, we'll be back on this feed with more content. So now that you're done part one, certainly go press play on part two. Enjoy that. And we'll, uh, we'll be back soon with more. Twitter at Dim Filipovich and on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash hockey PDOcast.